We're going to look at a parable here of Jesus, Luke chapter 18. But notice something that maybe you have not seen before in this parable. Some of the translations we've had for years, they're, they're wonderful, but some of the subtle nuances that would have been read when they were originally written, we may not experience as well today. We're going to clear up some of that in this parable. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 9, probably most have read this. We're going to look at one sentence here, though. I think hopefully will change how you understand not just this parable, but day-to-day -day life and the challenge then we'll see from this parable. Luke 18, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you, I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. We're going to focus on that sentence there. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Again, sometimes the nuance of these words gets lost over the years. So let me read a couple other translations of just that sentence here. ASV says the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Amplified, the Pharisee stood praying to himself. Complete Bible, the Pharisee stood and prayed to himself. Literal New Translation, the Pharisee, having stood, prayed these things to himself. And the Jubilee says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. As A. Nyland shares, the Greek literally means the man was praying to himself. God was not involved in his prayer. We would call this a, a soulish prayer. When we pray, we need to pray to God. We need to ask God how to pray, ask God what to pray for. And the reality is this man was not standing by himself. That's not the point. He was praying to himself, a soulish prayer. What he was doing was simply adding God's name to his own wants, calling it prayer so it'd sound religious and spiritual, but it was all about himself. That was a soulish prayer. The reality is all of us at times have prayed to ourselves. That's what's being pointed out here. He was arrogant. He was religious. He had this conversation in himself that he was better than others. The reality, though, what he was doing that we need to pay attention to, he was praying to himself. So I'll give you an example of somebody going across this spectrum all about self, soulishness, soulish prayer, to another place of redemption. This is John Shore. He wrote an article entitled, I, a rabid anti-Christian. Let me read his words here. Pretty profound what he shares. It wasn't like I didn't believe in anything. I did. I very seriously believed in me. I'd been happily married for 16 years, had a good job. I had friends. People liked me. I liked me. Then one day I was sitting at my desk at work during a totally typical workday feeling regretful about, about a particular, immature, self-destructive incident I had recently done. Then this feeling started coming over me that in four seconds had my undivided attention. I'll be right back, I said to a co-worker and then cut out for an auxiliary closet in an office no one used. I flipped on the light, closed the door, waited, and what happened all at once was I saw how selfish I really was. I never lied, but I'd fudge the truth here and there if it didn't really hurt anybody and would help things go my way. 
I never cheated, but life is complex, and sometimes one has to make deals that more directly serve a larger good. The sentence here is, is very, again, profound. He says this, I wanted to help others, but there were so many good shows on TV, especially after a long, rough day at work. We'll come back to him here in just a moment, but let's close what Jesus says here, Luke 18, starting verse 13. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. All who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the picture again, there's two men and one is soulish. He prays to himself with arrogance. The other man has this humbleness and he prays to God, have mercy on me. And Jesus says that man was the one who had true prayer. Here's a great prayer for each of us to take on a daily basis. Billy Graham wrote this prayer. It simply teach me to so completely open my heart to you. There will be no room for self. Again, one man prayed to himself, the other man sought God's mercy. We're going to see something from Paul here to help each of us to be focused in not just our prayer life, but our walk with Christ. And so we move from any of the soulish life to the true spiritual living, the vibrant life found in Christ, found in faith. Let's go back, though, to John Shore's story here. What suddenly became a fact to me was I had been fooling myself for so long I'd forgotten the act. I saw my mortality. I saw the simple fact that I would die and that as surely as one day follows the next, at the moment of my death, I wouldn't be any different from how I'd been at any other moment in my life. And then my legs disappeared from underneath me. I actually fell on my knees in the supply closet at my job. So I'm kneeling there, blinded by my sad, stupid little fate, when from up and off to my left, I hear a voice say, isn't this what Jesus is for? And just like that, I stopped crying. I instantly knew that the story of Jesus is true, that it happened, that God, desiring above all else to show people he created, he loved them, became a human, came to earth, sacrificed himself, and in every way did everything he possibly could to show people exactly how deeply and terribly he loves them. That's what my conversion consisted of. Sudden, sure knowledge, the historical story of Christ is true. So I stood, wiped my eyes, opened the door to the supply closet, went back to work, and that was that. Pretty profound, pretty, uh, pretty compelling again. One man stood, prayed to himself. Another man prayed to God and said, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, that one, that one is the one who is justified. We need to seek to say, you know, Lord, let me be so filled with Christ. There's no more room for self. That's one of the wrestling matches all the apostles talk about. We're going to look at something Paul says to help overcome that solely selfish part and find more of Christ. Before that, though, here's a survey of something each of us hopefully will, will really take from. And here's a step each of us can take to put into our life to be more about discipleship and evangelism, a calling each of us has in Christ. Study here by Life 
Way Research. What they did is they asked unchurched people if you saw this type of invitation or received this type of invitation to church, would you attend? Here's the results of that study. 18% said they would respond to a Facebook ad. 23% said they would respond to a TV or radio commercial. 23% said they would respond to a postcard. Here's the key, 51% though, 51%, more than half said they would respond to a personal invitation from a friend or family member. However, many said nobody ever asked them. One of the things we're called to be in that salt and light is reaching out to others and maybe it's simply to say, you know what, I invite you to come join us 10.30 a.m. for our worship. Or share the radio program with others, the online resources. But again, it's about saying, Lord, let me be so filled with you. There's no room for me. And each of us has that calling to be that disciple and to share the gospel. And here's something we're going to look at now from Paul that, again, help us to understand this picture of focus and how, again, this can be used daily in our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 26. The context of the verses surrounding this verse are, are well known to everybody. This is where Paul talks about, I run the race to win it. He says, though, I do not run aimlessly. He says, I want to win the prize. The prize is to live this life in Christ, to know him, experience him, and to live victorious over sin and self and Satan. And Paul says he doesn't run aimlessly this race. Notice verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul says this, And I box in this way too, not like a boxer who punches the air. I box not like a boxer who punches the air. What is Paul talking about here? He uses two analogies from Olympic games. One, a runner. You wouldn't just run around aimlessly. You run the track. You run towards the finish line. A runner just running in circles would be pointless, Paul says. To live your life running in circles, accomplishing nothing, doing nothing of substance, Paul says that's pointless. And he uses then the second analogy to box the air. He says that also is pointless. And he's saying he is doing the opposite. He is running with a purpose and he is boxing with a purpose. Something very specific though in boxing here. What he's saying here, imagine two boxers in a ring. If one was just swinging his arms wildly, never landing a punch, just running around the ring, swinging punches, never hitting spending all that energy, wasting his effort. Paul's saying, I don't do that. When I throw a punch, it lands. And who's he throwing punches at? Again, the enemy, Satan, sin, overcoming his own selfishness. Paul says, when I box, the enemy knows because I land the punches. When we are living this life day to day in Christ, the challenge to call to us to be focused so that when we throw those punches, the enemy knows exactly what hit him. How do we throw the spiritual punches in life? Walking in holiness. Get behind me, Satan. 
turning from the, the temptations before us, not following the crowd just because it's popular, but saying, you know what? I'm listening to Christ. Speaking scripture into our situation, over our situation. When the enemy comes in like a flood, we have the scripture in our heart to say, get behind me, Satan. All these things and more are the punches that we place very clearly and very squarely on the enemy so that he flees. Adam Clark said it like this, putting this verse in a paraphrase, I fight not as one that beats the air. I have a real and deadly foe, and I fight not only for my honor but for my life. I aim every blow well and do execution with each. Albert Barnes says, Paul did not miss his aim. He did not exert himself and spend his strength for nothing. Every blow he struck told. He did not waste his energies on that which would produce no result. He did not strive with rash, ill-advised, or uncertain blows, but all his efforts were directed with good account to the grand purpose of subjugating his enemy, sin, the flesh, the devil. What he's talking about here, again, is the challenge between praying to self or committing 2% of our life to Christ. Dabbling will never accomplish what we are called to accomplish. We have to be fully immersed in this life in Christ, in our time and worship on Sunday, in our personal study, in our personal walk, in our personal prayer, praying to God, saying, Lord, use me, send me, here I am, living in holiness, turning from sin, overcoming the enemy, overcoming falsehood with truth, all these things with focus. Dabbling never gets anybody anywhere. If you're dabbling in your faith and you commit 2% of your life, Challenges to say, Lord, let there be so much of you. There's no room for self. This isn't a Sunday thing. It's not a church game. It's a day-to-day -day life to say, the enemy's real. Falsehood is everywhere. Let me stand in the truth, speak the truth, and live the truth who is Christ. Here's an example from golfer Gary Player. He said the common question or statement he receives is, I'd give anything if I could hit a golf ball like you. Gary Player, international champion. He says he hears that so much, he finally put out a statement to those who say, I'd give anything if I could hit a golf ball like you. His response, no, you wouldn't. You would give anything to hit a golf ball like me if it were easy. You've got to get up early in the morning, like 5 a.m., Go out, hit 1,000 golf balls, walk back up to the clubhouse, put a bandage on your hand where it's bleeding, and then go back out and hit another 1,000 balls. That's what it takes to hit a golf ball like me. It's with Paul making that same analogy with boxing. Those who swing wildly, wasting their time, their punches. Paul says, I don't do that. My spiritual life is focused. That focus is Christ. And he says, when I'm boxing, the enemy knows it very clearly because I land the punches and Satan flees. That's the difference. Albert Barnes continues, many an effort of Christians is merely beating the air. The energy is expended for nothing. There's a lack of wisdom or skill or perseverance. There's a failure of plan. There's a mistake in regard to what is to be done and what should be done. 
here's a key point. At the end of their life, they may have never struck a blow at one of the real and dangerous enemies of the gospel. And a simple record on the tombstone of many might be, here lies one who spent his life punching the air. Nobody wants to spend their life punching the air. Nobody wants to spend their life just wasting time. Nobody wants to spend their life to say, I just ran aimlessly in circles. But again, how many believers give 2% of their time to Christ? The Pharisee played a church game in a sense, and he stood arrogantly and he prayed to himself. And there was another man there who said, God, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, that man was justified. And Paul says, you want to live life in honor to Christ, don't just punch the air. He says, get your spiritual life focused every day to say, Christ, before me, my life. Paul very clearly calls us to a different standard. Love this quote by Ole Anthony. It's not about just giving up everything. It's about who we are in Christ. And Ole Anthony says, there's no merit in losing all things, but rather in no longer giving them any importance. It's not about asceticism. It's not about just giving up all things to be spiritual sounding. It's just saying, you know what? Nothing compares to Christ. With that focus that he is my life, we don't run aimlessly in circles. We don't punch the air. We have a spiritual focus and a spiritual authority, and the enemy knows that when we know it and claim it and live it. Here's an example from Max Lucado. He writes about somebody who didn't want to spend their life just punching the air. Robert Reed can't run. He can't box. He can't take part in any physical contest. His hands are twisted. His feet are useless. He can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't brush his teeth, comb his hair, or put on his underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro. He has trouble speaking clearly. Robert has cerebral palsy. His disease keeps him from driving a car, riding a bike, or going for a walk. But it didn't keep him from graduating from high school or attending Abilene Christian University. And cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at St. Louis Junior College or venturing overseas on five mission trips. And Robert's disease didn't keep him from becoming a missionary to Portugal. He moved to Lisbon alone in 1972. There he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He didn't even know the language. He found a restaurant owner who would feed him after the rush hour, a tutor who would instruct him in the language. Then he stationed himself daily in the park where he distributed brochures about Christ. Within six years, he led 70 people to the Lord. How'd he do that? Well, Robert Reed didn't just simply punch the air. 
He kept his eye on the prize. He wasn't going to let what he couldn't do stop him from doing what he could do for the Jesus he loved. It's the difference between praying to self, running aimlessly and punching the air, versus being consumed with Christ and focused every day to say, how do I please him? And maybe it starts with just a simple invitation to somebody to say, hey, why don't you come to church? Hear about the true Jesus. Maybe it's an expanded vision for your own life in Christ. And let me close with a, an example of that very, very thing. A few days ago, uh, Monica and I were at a seminar, Dan Graziosi's company. And the speaker was sharing about a, a particular day the, the local PTA wanted to raise money for the schools. And they knew his neighbor was a businessman. They had no idea how successful he was, though. And so what happened is the PTA, they, they had a, a member go knock on this man's door, and they said, hey, we have a plan to raise some money for our school, elementary school, and we want to sell cookie dough. We plan to raise $10,000 in two years. And we know you're a business person, so maybe you could give us some advice. And, and so this man shared his neighbor said, I would not be interested in helping you raise $10,000 in two years. He says, I will, though, help you raise $150,000 in the next 30 days. And, and the PGA member just couldn't even process that. This man, not just successful, he was a billionaire. This person did not know that. But he said to her, listen, I'll tell you what, you raise $150,000 in Next 30 days, I will match that. So instead of $10,000 in two years, you'll have $300,000 in the next month. And this man shared, you should have seen the kids in the neighborhood from that school. I mean, they were selling cookie dough. There was so much excitement. They were going door to door, town to town. And there was so much energy in this vision. What happened was... In the next month, those kids raised $186,000. And this man matched that, so you're talking $360,000, almost $400,000. But the speaker shared, he asked his neighbor, he said, you know, I kind of understood what you did, but why would you, why would you make the goal so big? I mean, that, that was a goal that just, you could have certainly said, you know, raising $20,000 instead of 10. And the man said, listen, I knew if I gave them a goal so big, even if they didn't come close to that goal, but what if they would have raised $30,000 in a month instead of 10,000 in two years? It was just getting them to think bigger so that they would see things differently and they would seek a goal so big it would go far beyond anything they expected, whatever they did accomplish. I didn't know if they could do the 150, but I knew they could do better 
than 10,000 in two years. It's just about a, a bigger vision, a different standard. And, and so it is for you, for me, the same thing. No longer playing small, no longer praying to self. Let's be about, let me have so much of you, Christ. There's no room for me. Let me get so focused that my punches land every time. And let me have a different vision of all that you'll do when we simply say, yes, Lord, hear my, send me.